I need to find it. Where did it go? Here, I've got so many windows open. I've got this and this and this and this and this. And, uh, okay. You sound like a personal problem, Jack. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I've got plenty of those, so I'm not sure which one you're referring well, to. Well, you know, some, some of the windows may be open to something. Uh, aviation stuff. Aviation stuff, huh? What a concept. Um, but but not aviation stuff here. So this is what I want to know. Um, why in the world do pilots measure airspeed in knots? Okay? I mean, really, come on. Talk about old technology. Holy moly. Well, I mean... Actually, that's the best technology. Is it really? All right, I'm going to let you guys educate me because I'm sure you for, guys know... For navigating, that. it is the best technology. Really? A. I'm, I'm going to let you... B, you know, kilometers per hour is the only other real modern way to do this. Right. You know, and I always assumed that it was... Because there's so many things in aviation that are are maritime-ish, right, um, terminology-wise. And I always assumed that that's where it came from. Is it just that, you know, early aviators were all frustrated sailors, and so they just named things... They thought air, they thought of airplanes as ships. They literally, what, they called them airshare Ships, right? That was a, back in the early days. They, they were, I'm going why, do you think, why do you think airports are called air... Ports. Yeah, right. Ports and yeah. pilots, and you know, these are all maritime terms originally, earlier, previously, maybe well, not let's, ultimately. Let's let's go back to the uh, geographic basis for yeah, knots. yeah. That's, okay, that's, that's the bottom line. Now, okay, so you're yeah. telling me that knots mathematically makes some sense in terms of navigation? Yep. No, really. How how so? Well, that's the, uh, the how do, you, how do I put this? The circumference of the Earth at the equator is what got divided up to become knots. How many uh-huh. nautical miles is it around the Earth? And I think it's one, what is it, one minute of uh, longitude. Oh, okay. But that, that yeah, all one right. One minute of longitude at the equator is, no, is a nautical mile. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Okay. And they, using the technology that was available at the, at the day, once they got that figured out, they made a big, long piece of string. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah, go ahead, and, David. And, it, it, and, it, and tied knots of cloth at the appropriate intervals so that they could measure how many knots the ship was going yes, right. by dropping a float in the water and letting the line play out yes. and counting and the number of knots that went through it in, a, I think it was 15 seconds. Something like that. They, and they apparently had like literally a sand glass, a sand, an hourglass-ish kind of thing, right? Well, but it was a 15-second glass. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I know that part. It's, um, it's not a minute of longitude. It's a minute of latitude. Latitude, yeah. Yeah. Right. It, right, which would, as I, I, if I'm, if I've got this right, would be equal to a minute of longitude at the equator, but only at the equator, uh, because yes. longitude gets smaller as it goes north, and that's why I'm coming, ba- I'm coming back full circle here, if you will. <laughs> See what I did there? Full circle oh. uh, to uh, oh. saying that knots is not good because knots may be great for measuring your speed north-south, but uh, it falls completely apart in terms of measuring your speed east-west because you don't know where you are. Could be, well, right? Okay, I'm looking I'm looking at, there's this thing called the Internet now, and it has information. <laughs> yeah. So that's what they claim. I don't know. Right. I'm looking at the U.S. Geological Survey's website. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Which I would consider to be a, 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 a relatively... Um, accurate source. All right. Okay. We'll stipulate that, but yeah. Um, and I don't know why it's giving me 
this qualification. But because you're at a different latitude. Not well, it says at 38 degrees north latitude. Yes. Which passes through Stockton, California, and Charlottesville, Virginia. Hmm. Okay. One degree of latitude equals approximately 364,000 feet, 69 miles. One minute equals 6,068 feet. Okay. One nautical mile. Which is one nautical mile, which is also 1.15 statute miles. There you go. Okay. You got it down. Yeah. One degree of longitude equals 288,200 feet or 54.6 miles. And that's got to be statute miles. One minute equals 4,800 feet or 0.91 of a statute mile. Okay. This this is all at 38 degrees north. 38 north or south, right. Right, right. Um, At the equator, I'm sure that those... Uh, I think those values. I'm, I'm not sure of anything today. I think those <laughs> values would be similar, or if not identical. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what I've learned here because I don't know. I mean, that's interesting stuff. I. I yeah. Hmm. Okay. I don't know where to go with this. It really all. You know, it's like I've been doing a lot of. This is totally unaviation related. I've been experimenting with um, 3D modeling and 3D programming lately, and for some strange reason, and I'm sure there are listeners who can explain this to me. Um, in the 3D world, they measure the arc of circles. Not in degrees, but in radians. That's right. All right, and 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 what's a radian? I don't know exactly, but it has to do with pi. And and the the, the part that just kills me is that there isn't a whole number of radians around the circumference of a circle, around you know the full what we would call three hundred sixty degrees of a circle. I think it's like it's like pi radians is a circle or something like that. It's like you know I'm sure the math people, quite frankly. I would lo- personally, I personally would the love math, to hear from math. listeners who understand this stuff. All right, so don't bother Jeb and Dave, or bother Jeb and Dave because <laughs> you can go ahead and bother Jeb and Dave because that always entertains me too. You right? lost me. You lost me when you put an N. Yeah, at the right. end of the word radial. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. No, this is radians. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, listeners, educate Jack because Jack's trying to learn this stuff. If you have some insights or some true understanding of radians and why radians are the thing for 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 three D modeling, and and I would love to know more about that. Anyways, but knots are not just. It's not just that that early aviators were sailors. It's that there's a math. That there is arguably. A mathematically good reason, geographically good reason, for doing this. That's what you're saying. Yeah, geographically good reason, also known as making navigation easier. Right. Okay. And here's the question that the listeners might uh, want to debate: Why are some airplanes delivered with airspeed indicators uh, carved out in miles yeah. an hour, and others? I mean, nautical I, miles an hour. I think there's a pretty mundane answer to that, and that is that there was a period of time when, I don't know, Cessna thought that the airplane was going to become the family car, and they wanted it to be more more familiar. You're so close. Really? Okay. What do you think it really is? Well, what I was told by a guy that was in marketing uh, when this happened is that the uh, research showed that by putting – airspeed indicators in uh, in miles per hour 
it raised people's interest because it looked faster than the oh. ones nautical and uh-huh. nautical miles because there's more miles per hour per knot like you yes. said 1.15 yeah I, I i'd heard that too you're right you're right and that's probably a pretty legitimate one too is it is it it lets them you're, you're telling me it's marketing yeah, it lets yep. them claim a higher top speed for the airplane. Well, uh, it, the Mooney 201, it's not 201 knots. Right. It's 201 it, miles an hour. Miles an hour. That's right. Exactly. It, it came exactly. along after the the uh, marketing brains decided that things would be easier and give them a competitive edge over some of those other guys if they put the meter in, in miles an hour. Yeah. And now... The uh, what would a two hundred one be a hundred and uh, one hundred eighty one hundred seventy five one hundred seventy four knots is two hundred miles an hour. And calling a a model the one seventy five was complicated because there were Cessnas with that many numbers. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, when they got two hundred one, they could also advertise that the airplane did a mile an hour per horsepower. That's right. Because it was a 200-horse engine that did that. Okay. I, and, those are, and those are still very popular airplanes. Uh, they are great airplanes. They are. It's just that a little bit a little bit sneaky in terms of terminology there. But uh, that's, you know. Well, and a little bit snug in the cabin, but... You know, nothing, I've talked to people that who thousands in, haven't been able to live with. Haven't we talked about this on the podcast? Think, that that's actually a bit of a fiction, um, and that a that a, a Mooney cockpit isn't really dramatically smaller than anything else. Haven't we talked about this? Or maybe, I've, just I this, maybe I've had this conversation with someone else. We, we have know. talked about it. Um, let's see. Uh, the Mooney cabin is forty three point. This is according to. Euro GA org. Okay. Yeah. The Mooney uh, is what? 43.5 inches. Okay. Yeah. Next Wait. in the close ballpark is the putt. No, that's that's blowing snow. Hang on a second. What year Mooney was that? Hang on, that's the other problem. Because the distance has changed over the years. Wait a minute. What, David? Distances changed? What changed over the years? Don't start that one. That's the, another the, measure, the, me, the size of the cabin has changed over the years. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, they, okay. they picked up a, a measurable inch and a half, almost two inches, by changing the kind of liners that they put in at the factory down in Crystal, Texas. I see. Okay. Did you figure okay, it out, so, Jeb? So, according... Well, that's a later model. Let's see. Um... According to according okay. to te, according to Textron, the, the the manufacturer's website. Yes, the cabin width of the G thirty six Bonanza is forty two inches. So okay. According to this Euro, Euro GA org website, yeah, the Mooney cabin is forty three point five inches, an well, inch and a half go. wider. So see, it's bigger, roomy. It's like you know, elbow room. It's got yes, room more, to spare, more roomy. More room to spare. Um, okay. All right. I think we beat this to death. I think we need to move along here. This is just... And we did it all with a tape measure. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, with a string with a bunch of pieces of cloth tied and, and along. Here's another reference, though. This is the problem here. Another reference here says the Mooney M20K specifications, cabin width, three feet, six inches. I don't think so. So... Well, that's 42 inches. Yeah. 
um, now, according to AOPA, in 1996, Mooney claims a cabin width of 43.5 inches for the MSE, the Mooney MSE. Uh, but that measurement is taken at the elbow level cutouts. Right. And there's, there's some more I to think, go with that, yada, yada, yada. I think we're on to a scandal here. Well, I think- no, no, we're not on to a scandal here. The, the, the fundamental difference is the amount of glass in the cabins. Of these. So it just feels bigger or smaller? It feels bigger or smaller. Uh, they're basically the same width. Okay. For okay. All, for all, an inch and a half is not going to um, suddenly you know, make the airplane more or less okay. comfortable. All right, then. Mystery resolved. Good yeah. time. And Piper Comanche. Yeah. Cabin width, 45 inches. Yeah. See? <laughs> okay. See? But, but what really makes the Bonanza feel a little smaller isn't ha- how wide it is at the elbow. It's because of how it tapers getting as it, as it goes up. It, yeah. Yeah. Cessnas and, and Pipers, the cabin wall is straighter until it curves toward the top of the roof. But the Bonanza starts to curve. Yeah. Inwards, well, right at about the bottom of the uh, cabin class. My my head's so big it just barely fits. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, welcome, folks. <laughs> On that note, all right. Did you all get that? Everybody got notes. It's going to be a quiz. Um, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, It's a Beautiful Spring Day, uh, Dover, New Hampshire. Forgot for a second where I am. Dover, New Hampshire, along the banks of the ever rapid Cochigo River. It really is roaring right now as the spring melt continues, and we've had some rain. And uh, um, there's actually a waterfall. And so Dover is a is a former mill town, um, and the, and this river that I keep referring to through the middle of town, through half through half, most of the middle of town, the half of the middle of town is a is a mill pond. It's backed up by a big dam, and uh, and the water comes pouring over, roaring, racing over the uh, dam uh, right there in the middle of town. It's very scenic. I really like it. If you look at my, uh, I think my Twitter profile page has a picture of the uh, of the falls at Cochico Mills. And uh, so, uh, anyways, that's my thing. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful day, and I'm gonna. And, it's and a beautiful the, day in the neighborhood. Yeah, for those of you in the Northeast, you will appreciate that it's going to get to be the mid 60s today, which is gorgeous. Jeb, be quiet. I don't want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here today. I'm sitting here. Or I'm visiting here today in our in uh, our virtual hangar with my two very good friends. Uh, first of all, from uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How you doing? Oh, doing fine. The beautiful sunny, a little crisp overnight, like 45 degrees, Mm -hmm. but but, uh, we're going to see, I think, high 60s today, which is just fine. Uh, Best of all, the wind had slacked off a little bit from what we've had the last two days, Uh, and it's going to come roaring back tomorrow. We're talking about gusts in the 50s. Yeah, it's been occasionally pretty windy up here too. So oh, it's going to make it hell on the guys' taxi and tail draggers. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, do you, David? Do you consider yourself to be a Wichita guy now? You've lived in Wichita for a long time, like 30, 20, long time, right? 
Uh, yeah, I guess I do. I've, yeah. I mean, I've lived here longer than the hometown where I was born. Yeah, okay. The reason I ask is that I was listening to the last episode when I was, when I was doing post-production on the last episode, um, and we were talking about what's his name, the uh, the, the jet guy who does air-to-air photography, um, who has now fuel. What's the guy's name? Um, blank. You're talking about Paul Bowen? No, I'm talking about, uh, uh, hang on here, hang on, hang on. I'm going to look at the show notes because that's what they're here for. Uh, Clay Lacey. Um, oh, yeah. All right, so we were talking about Clay Lacey, and we had this story about Clay Lacey and how his FBO is now pumping this alternate fuel, and that's the thing. But, but while we were talking about that, you referenced, Clay, you were kind of rapsed, uh, I don't know, rapsed, rhapsodic, I don't know, um, about Clay Lacey, and you were telling us a bit about his background, and you said you referred to him as a Wichita boy, or a Wichita guy. You were, and, and I was listening to you tell this story, and I'm thinking, Dave's saying that as if he considers himself. It's like he's one of us. Clay Lacey is, like me, Clay Lacey is a Wichita guy, all right? And uh, so I was just curious whether you consider yourself a Wichita guy right now. And uh, uh, Well, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I've been here uh, as of Independence Day coming up. I'll have been in this house I'm in for 30 years. Yes. Uh, Jeez. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah, good. Yeah, it stuns me too. Well, and it's a very, very pleasant neighborhood and, and home you have there. I so I don't blame that part of it. It's not in my nature to stay in the same place for very long, which is a story that will have its next chapter. Not, not me either. Not without having a sentence imposed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. Well, uh, when we came here, yeah. it was it was our third move in three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, left D.C. for Louisville. Right. Left Louisville for L.A., left L.A. for here. Right. And each of those moves was about 13 or 14 months from the last one. Even for me, that's pretty intense. But you were quite the nomadic journalist back then. uh, Oh, yeah. I was was eagerly following whatever track that moved me up in the journalism order. Right. Not unlike the radio industry, or maybe the, I don't know if it's still true of the radio industry, but there was a time when radio announcers started in tiny little radio stations in the middle of nowhere, and then as quickly as possible jumped to a bigger one, and then a bigger one, and then a bigger one. Um, So, anyways. The odd odd thing about it, in the the, uh, eyes of some of my uh, acquaintances, some of my friends, is that I'm here now with a job that doesn't require require me to be any place in particular. Exactly, exactly. Which you know, I mean, kind of speaks to your your comfort, your you know, devotion to Wichita. Um, it's a, it sounds like a quite a town. I mean, aviation wise, its history is incredibly rich. So there's that. Yeah. Well, and there's inertia in effect too. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, okay. I, I was thinking that you know, 30 years ago, you had less stuff than you do now. Yep. <laughs> the stuff is a real challenge. Stuff too. is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, well, that's cool, David. And my other good friend here in our virtual hangar is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida is Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. Um, uh, good morning, Jack. I faked you out. I'm yeah, sorry. Did I'm, I ask a different I'm question? Getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good, good morning and good morning to David. Uh, yeah. Um, Doing, doing well. Doing so well. I heard an interesting. So since we're talking about weather, I know that listeners kind of some listeners. Well, I think longtime listeners have gotten used to it. Um, and I always think about Florida as being lots and lots of rain, like almost daily. Um, but I was talking to a friend in 
Orlando recently who was saying that Orlando is in the midst of a drought. Apparently, they haven't had any rain at all in Orlando for like a couple of weeks or something like that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like that's, a big deal. That's not a drought drought. Well, but for Florida, that's a drought, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's, it may not it's, be it's spring in Florida, and it's and a that's dry, the way it it's works? A dry season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it hasn't rained here in a couple of weeks. It rained overnight, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, okay. we, we're supposed to get maybe some more rain on Sunday. Um, but right now, the living's, living's good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you can get into certain areas of the yard with the lawnmower that you can't get during the summer. Okay. Can't well, then get it is... to during the summer. All right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all good. So, yeah, I mean... All right. Well, what do you want to tell us about that's going on in your life? That was what I wanted to know about. Uh, anything fun going on? You're doing stuff, good stuff? What, what you been up oh, to? Oh, just tackling some projects. Uh, I got the magazine in the can uh, last week and uh, tackling some projects this week. Um, some of them are airplanes. Some of them are real estate. Some of them are uh, um, just you know, get a, getting a haircut, which is you know a major statement these days. I, it is. Did you do it? I did. I got a haircut. Yeah, I know. Yeah, how our lives have changed um, um, when when getting a haircut is like a life changing experience. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. in, this, in this case, it pretty much was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, just you know, in, enjoying having some downtime here. That now that I don't have to worry about the magazine uh-huh. for a while. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Sounds yeah. good. All right. What's going on here? We got. Uh, um, this is a story from AOPA's website. For some reason, it's part of their finance section. Um, the story's headlined, Top 4 Aircraft Purchased by First-Time Buyers in 2020. So there's a lot of qualifications there. But uh, um, And uh, it's not an unsurprising list. Um, so according to this story, the top four first-time buyer airplanes in 2020 – is the Cessna 172, no, no surprise there. Cessna 182, I guess that's no surprise. That's then, no surprise. Then Piper Cherokee, which is, that's a kind of a broad, because there are many flavors. That's yeah. like saying Cessna Skyhawk instead of 172 Skyhawk. I guess, maybe not. That's not true. No, that's not, that's not. You're right. Skyhawk 172 is a, and Skyhawk are pretty much synonymous. Yeah, yeah. But I'm there sorry, are a lot right. of different flavors of Piper Cherokees. Uh, of Cherokees. You could say high, high wing Cessna. That doesn't narrow it down a whole lot. Exactly. All right. So this Cher- Piper Cherokee, <laughs> and then uh, um, and then the f- number four is a Beach Bonanza thirty five as the fourth. Which I most. kind of I, I'm 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 surprised by a couple of things. Yeah. One that the thirty five versus the thirty six made the yeah. list. Okay. Now educate me a little bit because I'm not really tuned into those 30, distinctions. Yeah, the thirty five is the four C, four to five to six, depending on model um, V tail. Okay. The thirty six is uh, straight tail, six seats, um, with with doors on the side. You can sometimes see them in club seating configurations. Okay. Um, so it's a bigger airplane. Um, it's the current production. It's version. the current production model, also. The yeah. G G thirty six. Right. Um, but but Anza thirty five kind of has a reputation as being slippery. Okay. Um, which, now the uh, which the story probably is compared to the Skyhawk, but the uh, story illustrates the the uh, it gives as an example of the thirty five as being a V tail. Is that that's accurate? Like, that's what you said. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you said yeah. uh, okay. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I misunderstood that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's interesting. Now, so let me ask you this: So your airplane is a debonair, correct? Yeah. All right, and uh, um, but but it is one might 
Am I fair in saying that one might call it a cousin to another Bonanza? And if so, which Bonanza a- model? Absolutely. Uh, my model is the 33. 33. As okay. opposed to the 35 or the 36. The 35 and the 33 are basically the same airplane back to a certain stringer in the tail. And after that, the tails are different. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, same same basic model year. Um, you know, there's some variations in the early years of the 33s of the Debonairs. But after 68, and there's still a couple of variations after that, actually. But after 68, um, you could buy an airplane. You could buy a 33 and a 35, and they would be identical, built on the same line at the same time, yada, yada, except for the tail. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I'm, 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 I've read this story first some time ago. Um, <clears throat> apparently, AOPA has done this multiple. So they, they've got one category, which is first-time owners, which is apparently the one I'm looking at. And then they also have what they call mid-level and then light jet turbo. I'm trying to, where's that story? Hang on. Let's see if we can find those lists. Uh, there's to, uh, five top high-end piston aircraft. Yeah. And one, one thing here I'd like to just kind of note. Um, the text of the story talks about someone, a member, AOPA member, recently closed, quote, a deal uh, on a 1967 Beach 35 Bonanza for $60,000. That is a really good price if the airplane's in any kind of good shape. I would think, That's yeah. a really good price for a V-35. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would suggest that the engine was run down and it needed avionics. Yeah. So now here I found it. Their list, their list for what they're calling um, high-end piston aircraft, also purchased in 19, 2020. Um, so they got the Cirrus SR-22, the they Piper have, they have a typo in Bonanza line. Do they really? Okay. Pa- it's not, it's not number 26. two. Yeah, yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, anyway, number two is Piper Malibu Mirage. Number three is Bonanza. What? Now, what's the? It says A slash G two six. Yeah, they, they, this two should be a three. So it's A slash G three six. Correct. Okay. Number four is the Cessna two hundred six Stationaire, and uh, five is a Beechcraft G fifty eight Baron. I just I don't think that isn't a Baron a twin. It yeah, is. it is a twin. It yeah. Is. Okay. <laughs> Beach might have sold 10 G58s in in 2020. Sadly, that's might in some situations be well, I mean, I a could, good I year. could actually I tell you exactly how many. Give me a minute. Okay. Um, All right. Well, in the uh, the G36 and the uh, G58, uh, they're the heaviest. <laughs> Excuse me. They're the heaviest of uh, the Bonanza and Baron line. Uh and they've got the uh, G1000 Garmin panel in them, which necessitated some uh, extra work to give it electrical power, give them electrical power redundancy, since there are no analog instruments for vacuum pumps or air pumps in the, in, uh, out in the fire, in front of the firewall. Uh, so that I missed it. They had to raise the uh, operating weight, raise the gross weight to maintain any kind of, of reasonable, useful load with full fuel. But the biggest difference in some of these models is uh, nothing more than the engine. Yeah. 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 Okay. That could be. So yeah. So Textron in two thousand twenty twenty, 
They sold eight Baron fifty eight G fifty eight Barons. Okay, there okay. were there were twenty six stationaires sold. Two hundred forty one Skyhawks sold. Okay, and that's all in twenty twenty. And now for um, I don't know which Piper they're talking about here. Hang on a second. Um. Piper Malibu Mirage is the low end. Um, yeah, three the forty six three fifty P M three fifty. They sold Piper sold twenty two of them. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Sold fifteen of them. Seven M five hundreds and uh, that's a, which is a turboprop, and then the. Uh, in the, the 600 TP, 36 copies. So, okay. but here's here's where we get starts to get interesting. Um, Sierra sold 56 SR20s, 107 SR22s, 184 SR22 turbos. Um, so those are as far as new sales are concerned. Um. Those are uh, the twenty-two itself. I should say is, is clearly leading the pack. But I'm just you know at eight count at eight uh, copies. Uh, I'm just curious why the G fifty eight Baron is on the list. Yeah. Okay. Dave, uh, Dave's furiously typing away. At yeah, one of you is furiously typing, and and that's fine. But uh, just I'm sorry, I didn't realize you could hear that. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Um, in any event, uh, listeners may not have heard it because I may have muted it out. But um, so, uh, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. I was trying to click through to the third part of the story, which was the um, jet turbine, um, but there's a broken link here, and it just doesn't go through. So we're going to have to save that for another day. I, oh, yeah, it goes right back to the piston. It goes back to the piston one. So yeah. anyways. Anyways. anyways all right. so that's, yeah, okay. Let's see. So they're saying a 94 Beach A36 for $255,000. That's ballpark. Uh, an 18, 2018 SR22 for 715 That starts to get into real money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 So, all right. Sounds good. Uh, moving on here. Um, uh, update on, or uh, I guess it's an update on an announcement that we made last episode. Um, kind of sad. I mean, not really sad in the scheme of things. There's many, many much sadder things. But um, we're not going to Sun and Fun, um, which which is sad, and we, we're kind of bummed out by this. But uh, um, you know, we we've kind of decided that UCAP isn't going to attend Sun and Fun this year. We've given this whole thing a lot of thought um, and the circumstances of the pandemic. And, and the whole thing has just led us to decide uh, on a personal basis that it, we're not going to attend Sun and Fun this year. Um, we're In my little note here, I wrote, we're pretty sad. We're really, really sad um, about this. But uh, um, it's the right choice for us. And uh, and we look forward to seeing everybody um, at uh, fly-ins in the future. Um, you know, there will be fly-ins and, and we'll return. But uh, but we're not going to be on site um, at Sun and Fun. Um, I guess the update part of this announcement is I didn't mention last time, and that um, we are planning 
on doing um, a couple of different things during Sun and Fun Week special. Um, we're going to, just like similar to what we did during Oshkosh last summer, um, we're going to do remote UCAP dailies uh, about Sun and Fun. We think we are. We're pretty sure we are. We're kind of trying to make the plans. And so you you can think, you can kind of watch for, listen for um, UCAP dailies uh, during the week uh, of Sun and Fun. Uh, and then also we uh, we will be doing one of our regular Sun and Fun radio uh, show episodes Episodes. The the Sunday morning episode that we've always done for years, we will do um, remotely. Uh, we will uh, connect in by uh, by uh, some magic of the internet and voice over IP, um, and we'll be talking to various friends or from here and there, both on site and, and elsewhere. And uh, that will be Sunday morning um, at 11 a.m. Eastern time is when we'll be doing that. That'll be you can listen to that live on the uh, Sun and Fun Radio stream, and then it'll be in our uh, podcast feed later on. Um, and keep in mind, you'll be able to listen to Sun and Fun Radio live throughout the week. Um, they will be broadcasting. I believe they're um, going to be a little shorthanded this year, but uh, they will be broadcasting. And if you want to, uh, if you also choose to not be there or are unable to be there, um, you can keep up with what's going on by checking out uh, Sun and Fun Radio. And if you go to Sun, I believe it's, um, yeah, I don't know what the URL is. I don't have it in my head, but I'm sure you can Google it um, and uh, and find it. And uh, um, unless one of you guys has it in your head. You have the uh, Sun and Fun Radio link. It's like uh, SNF Radio. Uh, I don't know. You'll find it. Google's good. You can find it on the Sun and Fun page. Or on the Sun and Fun website. Exactly right. So there we go. All right. Google is your friend. Google is your friend. Or in my case, DuckDuckGo. Yeah, okay. DuckDuckGo. I really wish they had a better name because I really want to tout these people. I'm using DuckDuckGo for uh, the better part of the pandemic, and uh, and it's perfectly fine. It's just as good. I never go to Google because I didn't get what I needed through DuckDuckGo. And DuckDuckGo is a, has a has a uh, organizational philosophy of being much less intrusive yeah. in terms of tracking. And I stick and, with Google because I want to re- be reminded later in the day of what I searched for on a different website earlier well, in the day. You're right. I'm missing out on all that You're stuff. You're missing out. You're missing out. I'm missing out. Let's see now. Uh ELTs. I think David put this on the list. Um, so uh, there's a story here from uh, FAA's safety briefing publication um, about. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. It's it's a kind of broad, wide ranging story that talks about available technology and what you might do in the event of a like a off field landing and things like that. David, can you? I, I, I you put this on there a while ago. But can you ref, kind of brief us here on what this story is all about and why you thought it was important? Well, the FAA, uh, I think it was in their safety magazine, uh, uh, asked the question, when to activate your ELT, your emergency locator trans... Yep. Uh, ELT. Emergency phone locator. rang and it completely, <laughs> it was completely my phone. shot. Oh, that's my your phone. phone. Yeah. Oh, well, David was trying to figure out whether it was his phone. I'm sorry, David. So when, did, when to, uh, uh, ex, uh, to activate your ELT or... Well, how to re- how to handle it, how to use it in an emergency, uh-huh. and uh, they covered uh, both the one twenty one point five obsolete analog ELTs and the new four hundred six megahertz digital ELTs, uh, the ones that can actually have a GPS position uh, data to broadcast up to the satellites or to people 
searching for you. And I, I, I guess I could call it a pet peeve for a while. Uh, so I asked the rhetor- non-rhetorical question, why do you still have an analog 121.5 megahertz CLT? Absolutely. That's kind of struck me about the story, too. That, that Isn't it even... Against, aren't you required to have the new one now in no. the airplane? No. no. Really? No. Okay, go ahead. No, that's that's part part of the peeve is that uh, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, has reign over the uh, electronic frequencies that everything zaps back and forth through. They... Uh, forced the end of 121.5 megahertz production, you can't build them and get a new one approved because of the FCC action, which means if your old ELT breaks, you're either diving into the used market or you're going to get a new one uh, for 406. But why do you still have an analog 121.5? Nobody's listening. That's not 100% accurate. The satellite will hear you if it goes over where you are. Right. And it it goes around the the Earth twice in 24 hours. Right. And 121.5 is guard frequency for voice, right? So people might be monitoring that, but that's pretty casual, right? That's pretty casual. And... uh, it's uh, woefully inadequate for trying to track down people. Right. Uh, the best you could do is report to ATC that you're hearing the beep beep and uh, where you're located. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, no, the 400s seem way better. I agree. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, they depending on the model you get and and, and the manufacturer, it can be uh, just a simple 406 megahertz ELT with an impact switch uh, and a cockpit switch for manually activating it. Uh, And that will get heard by everybody. Yeah. Uh, The satellites up there will pick that up immediately. Uh, You can get that ELT with a GPS navigator engine in it so that when it says, oh, November such and such has crashed, it can also say, and here's where it is in latitude and longitude. I mean, it actually gives you location data. Within like 10 meters. Yeah. Which is, if you can't find a crashed airplane within 10 meters. Yeah, um, it's a bad crash. (laughs) It was a bad, yeah. yeah. You shouldn't have picked up that guy. Call someone else. You shouldn't have picked up that guy with the red tip cane. Uh, one, one so, point. I, and I understand that this is a, you know, it's a costly little machine, uh, but it's not double the cost of a 121.5 that nobody hears. Uh, and it's only your life and the life of your family and friends that you're dealing with here. Uh, and if you own an airplane... Uh, I have a hard time understanding why after four or five years you weren't able to scrape together 300 or 400 bucks to upgrade to the 406. Uh, you know, throw an extra 50 cents in the tip jar for yourself every time you gas up. Uh, if you fly a lot, you'll have that money in time for Christmas. But that would be a great Christmas present to yourself to upgrade to the 
406 because right 121.5 is just, you just can't touch the accuracy of the 406 with a 121.5. Okay. Now, do the do these personal locator devices use this same technology or are they a whole different system? Oh, they the same technology. Yes, same 406 also. Yeah. No. Okay. The, the, yeah. the biggest difference between a, a, a personal locator beacon, a PLB, and uh, an ELT, a 406 ELT, is the ELT has G switches that activate it. You know, in, this, in the sense of a sudden stop. Right. A PLB won't have that. It'll have a simple off-on switch. A little panic button. Yeah. Kind some of thing, yeah. some PLBs will also be water activated for use yeah. aboard of use aboard boats. Okay. Okay. And those float. And, the, and some of them, some of them float. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, the risk- ones that are water can be activated yeah, by water. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. now, yeah. Real quick, um, this article Dave citing is from like the the 2010 um, uh, time frame, and it gives a price in here about ELTs, um, including installation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those numbers have changed, and they've gone down. You could yes. easily, you could yeah you could easily get a four hundred six ELT for under five hundred dollars, yeah. And they they know how to install these too. You have to run I think three wires, maybe it's two wires. I think it's three, um, and put a switch somewhere accessible by the pilot. That's it. Mm-hmm. As far as installation, you could probably use the same bracket that your old ELT was in. Okay, so, yeah, uh, all of that counts and. Uh, yeah, it, I I went to 406, um, I don't know, five years or so ago. Um, right. And um, except for the initial unit failing after a year or two, uh, there wasn't hasn't been really uh, any downside at all. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. My uh, my wristwatch will call 911 if I fall down. It's not a joke. It really will. <laughs> I'm not sure if I feel like I need that have capability. You, have you just... tested it? No, I haven't. Okay. As a matter of fact, so you're, features... you're, you're taking it on faith that if you fall Well, I, I guess I... I, I, I want to hear that phone call. Yeah. yeah. Hi, well... is, is this 911? Yeah, this is 911. Who's this? Well, I'm on the wrist of this nummy that tripped on his own stair. <laughs> well, okay. Come on now. All right. You know, all right. Going to make fun of a life-saving technology. Siri, Siri gets an attitude sometime. Yeah, I know. All right. I'm going to see if I can find a sample of the audio of what that does sound like. It kind of never occurred to me to wonder, but uh, okay. All right. Moving on. Here we go. Um, well, you know, so this last little bit notwithstanding, if you like what we're doing with this podcast, please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really helps us uh, in uh, enabling us to do this podcast. Um, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Uh, big thanks to your recent PayPal uh, donors, uh, David W. and Robert V. and Martin B. and Mark L. Uh, Thank you very much. Or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our Patreon supporters, uh, Stephen D. and Robert V. and the Massachusetts Air and Space Museum, and Bill M. and Sean M. and Martin B., Ed K., and Stuart A., and everyone else who supports us either through PayPal or through Patreon. Uh, thank you very much. You guys are the best. Uh, we really appreciate it. For information about how uh, providing automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace or 
uh, on PayPal, you can make a donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. You can get all this information by going to the uh, clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you to everyone. We appreciate it. We know who you are, and there will be consequences. <laughs> no, there won't. no, don't say that. These are awesome people. And, uh, and uh, you know, they help. No, the consequences the... are that we keep talking. Here. Yeah, they See? help pay for the See? hosting service and the uh, and uh, and uh, gas money to get to Oshkosh. Um, so, uh, anyways, what's next here? I don't know. I had something next here. Uh, uh, landing at the wrong airport. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hate when that happens. Well, yeah, and I don't know why this one's any different than it. This is not in the U.S., for starters. This is in Ethiopia, apparently. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I was kind of don't quite – I can't quite parse this story because it – so uh, the part I can parse, and uh, this is from CNN travel, CNN.com's travel section. I don't know why it's a travel story because it involves an airliner. But it doesn't involve an airliner. That's the thing. Okay, an Ethiopian Airlines plane mistakenly landed at an unopened airport still under construction near Zambia. I hope I pronounced Zambia correctly. Um, the carrier, con- Ethiopian um, Airlines, confirmed Monday. The flight, a cargo service traveling from – Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and destined for Andola. Um, uh, air, oh, I'm not even going to try and. I, I, Simon Wanza Kapwipe. Yeah. Okay. With all respect, I just I don't know how to pronounce these words. Um, they landed at the, they landed at this new airport that's under construction. According to the story, I'm paraphrasing now. Um, the new airport, the runway is complete, um, but the terminal and the, and the ramps are still being worked on. Um, the new runway apparently has the same orientation uh, as the a, the intended target air runway and uh, um, and uh, is relatively nearby. I believe is what it said here. So you can kind of understand this. Um, We've seen that kind of thing happen before, notably down in the Tampa area it's happened. Um, And uh, um, I don't know what to make of this story. I mean, clearly this was a mistake. This was an oops. Um, And I don't know what Ethiopian airline regulations might be, whether or not these people are in trouble. Um, uh, It was a closed airport. They'll hear from somebody. Yeah. 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 They'll have a conversation. Well, I mean, there will, there will yeah. certainly be a conversation. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to have been wildly – I mean, it could have been dangerous given that they were confused and in the wrong place and landing at the wrong location. But this particular example, they ended up landing on a completely completed runway that fortunately didn't have anybody on it. Um, and uh, so, Cop- and- Copper Belt International Airport. And this is what jumped out at me. Yeah. I mean, we've had – Airplanes, big airplanes, land at the wrong airport here in Wichita and make national news when they did. Yep. But they landed at an airport that was right in line with two other runways farther right. south. They just came up. They they landed at the closest one for some reason. But this airport, Copper Belt International Airport, it's 13 miles from the airport that they should have gone to. Okay. But, you know, 13 when you're, miles. When you're traveling at airliner speeds, 13 miles isn't all that much. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It was a oops. It was a goof. No question about it. Uh, the part that amazes me, and I guess airliners don't, even under the best of circumstances, all airliners don't have the most modern of navigation equipment on board. You know, like we all travel with our foreflight, and I. 
I guess I've heard that that's not necessarily the case with an airliner. Because my question would be, you know, given how great moving map technology, navigation stuff we have these days, how can you possibly end up on the ground at the wrong airport? Nowhere here in this article does it say um, what the aircraft type was. I'm going to Google the flight number, see what this says. Okay. Um, um, okay, yeah, it's a Boeing 737-800F, 800 freighter. So it's a fairly new okay. uh, airplane. Yeah, it has GPS. Uh, yeah. Now, one thing, too, is is you talk about some airline crews not having um, foreflight, for example. Yeah. Uh, on its face, that's a true statement. Uh, typically, uh, and I don't know about Ethiopian, but uh, I suspect they're big enough and and uh, modern enough uh, that they also use uh, tablets um, for their aeronautical information. It's it's rare to see, you know, I, I haven't been in an airline terminal uh, in you know over a year, but it's rare even before then to see, even in international terminals to see crew, flight crew, walking through carrying big bags of paper charts. Right. They, they, yeah. Now, they may not be using ForeFlight, and they may not be using an iPad, but they have some kind of, of portable terminal, uh, or even sometimes a, a tethered terminal in the cockpit that they can use for all this information. Yeah. The, the fundamental fall down, though, here um, was not matching. Um, well, you know, they, they matched the heading. Uh, because apparently the runway is aligned, the new runway is aligned in the same direction. Right. Um, but um, they didn't match it up with their moving maps. A 73-800 certainly has a moving map. Um, so there's, you know, there's still some, some, uh, I don't know, some lackadaisical attitude here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. But you're right. Basically, there's there's gear in the cockpit that if they had used it, would have told them, hey, dummy, you're landing at the wrong runway. Yeah, right. So we said... If the, if the database was up to date. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, uh, this is us speaking from our comfortable you know, position sitting at home. Who knows what was really going on in that airplane? Maybe there was some compelling reason why they got... They just felt they were just finished flying, and they didn't want to go the extra thirteen yeah, miles. Right. Okay, you know, what the okay. Heck? sure, yeah. sure. They're not getting paid. Right. They're not getting paid extra for this. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being finished flying, Jeb, you seem to be amused by the this next story. This is uh, where are we here? Um, uh, I got to open the link here. A hard landing. The plane makes a hard landing. Oh yes. Well. Yeah. Uh, so what we, we all that? we all bounce a landing or kind of <laughs> I know, thump, right. thump one in every now and then. This uh, is from uh, Local10.com, which is a, a, probably a TV station, I would imagine, in, near where this near, happened. Near Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Headline um, is, plane makes hard landing at Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. Um, but your your observation, Jeb, was what? The, the, what they're calling as a hard landing was what? A gear up landing. A gear up landing. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't find that out until the second paragraph. Of the, yeah, of the I know. You know so, um, I don't know. This is, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. what you what, What's your perspective? My perspective on this is this is mainstream media. They misunderstand. And you know what? You know what? This is kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not. Mainstream gonna get, media yeah. might easily have called this a crash. All right. Yeah, and they didn't exactly. call it a crash. All right. They called it a hard landing. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, ex- nothing. No, yeah. nothing much else to add. Yeah, um, it was a twin engine Aerostar, a Piper Aerostar. Um, 
Got the pressurized one. Yeah, didn't, didn't, you know, that's going to be expensive. Um, uh, didn't put the landing gear down. Oops. Hate it when that happens. I know. No, no I injuries. I tell you, it's noisy. Yeah, I know. David's <laughs> been there. Yeah. Uh, so we got to be got to be careful here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So hard landing. I, you know, it's uh, the hard landing in my. In my mind, when I think hard landing, I'll, I'll go out and show you a hard landing. Yeah, okay. right. I know. So my my in my mind, when I think of hard landing, for some reason, the one that keeps popping into my mind was that time at Oshkosh when the uh, the uh, um, um, big Airbus there the. Um, 380 what's yeah, the big number yeah, yeah, yeah. The th- that, fir- that maybe the first time the 380 arrived at Oshkosh was, all right, yes. all right? Yeah. and and he came down final and he planted that sucker all right you know and and he took a lot of of uh, of abuse the pilot did um for the that that landing which in in reality was not that it was pretty dramatic because he was pretty skewed for a crosswind um and he did kind of plan it pretty hard um and uh and people were referring to it as a hard landing, and uh, um, but uh, that's the one that comes to my mind. You guys remember that one, right? Yeah, were you there? Yeah, you must have yeah. been there that day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it looks even more dramatic in the video. the The video that that exists about it was from just exactly the right angle to really emphasize the uh, the uh, crab angle that he was landing at. You know, and uh, quite frankly, he was flying that big airplane, and that, that's you know, I don't know. Well, that, it left behind a lot of uh, rubber uh, from all those tires when right. it touched down. Right. Uh, and and I think that exacerbated people's reaction to right. To, As I recall, it also it also blew up a great big cloud of dust. Perhaps because it was at such a crab angle that it blew the gravel from the side of the runway or something like that. Well, with the wingspan like that. Uh, ground effect is going to be very yeah. pronounced. Yeah. yeah. I, did, I just sent you all a link to AvWeb's coverage, and they've got video. And, the and, video of the 380? Okay, yeah. we'll put that in the show notes. Um, is it true? Is the 380 nearing the end of its life? Is that possible? What am I What am I hearing about along these they've lines? They've manufactured the last one, or delivered the last one, or forget See, which. I just must be really but, freaking old, because that doesn't seem like that long ago. What's the story there? But uh, economics. <laughs> That's the story. It's just yeah. too big. It was just, just yeah. unnecessarily yeah. large. Yeah. Yeah, it was not the solution the airlines were looking for. Yeah, they just need more seven thirty sevens. I mean, it kind of that seems to be a sweet spot in terms of size and range and performance. And well, they could put two seven eight sevens on the line and fly as many passengers and save money. Yeah, compared to filling up a three eighty. Right. Yeah, the Wikipedia page on the Airbus A three eighty has this to say: on seventeen March twenty twenty one. The final Airbus A380 made its maiden flight from Toulouse for cabin outfitting. Mm-hmm. So it's been delivered, basically, the last, the final Airbus A380. Okay. And that was manufacturer serial number 272, so I presume that there were 272 copies made. Mm-hmm. Which okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's a successful program or not. But. Well, there we go. All right, hard landings 
and hard landings. So they've made it a little bit better looking. Maybe we have this That's you know, uh, and, and, I, and I get the feeling that not everybody agrees with us on this, but I, I know you and I, Jeb, are of this mind. I don't know how Dave feels about the 380. He's not the most sleek, attractive, sexy looking airplane, if you ask me. Oh, I think I called it the ugliest airline. Well, we, 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 we used the go. word fugly. In the, yes, in okay, the, all right. Then, the, yeah. That's right. There we, there we go. Yeah. We are still all on the same runway here. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, finally. On, on this topic. Yeah, okay. Last but not least, um, this is just a quick follow-up on a follow-up. Um, so we, we got email from uh, a friend of the podcast, listener Stefan B., recently, and uh, we had some back and forth, good back and forth. We were kind of chatting with him by way of email. And uh, I just wanted to reference one last um, – so, Jeb, you got involved in this conversation, and Stefan responded to you. You guys were talking about engine break-in stuff. Right, um, right. And I just wanted to call attention to the last graph here of Stefan's email where he wrote – because you had mentioned, you know, make sure we get Stefan a copy of the issue of Aviation Safety Magazine that had the story that you had referenced, right? And Stefan had gotten back to saying, I've got it already, no problem. He writes, I definitely am an Aviation Safety Magazine subscriber for about 15 years now, he writes. He says, in my humble opinion, it is the best aviation magazine out there and the only one for which I keep past issues. I wouldn't give it up for anything he writes Outstanding. so Outstanding. thank you for what you made out of the magazine and don't retire he says. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Stefan, and uh very very much appreciate those kind yeah. words there you go all right on that note i think it's time to flip over the cards or put a fork in it or whatever metaphor you want uh and uh stab it with their steely knives but they just can't kill the podcast <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> And uh, I've neglected to open my little script. We haven't seen that, haven't heard that spirit here since 1969. (laughs) Picked it right up. Thank you, guys. It's always fun getting together with you. I enjoy it. Uh, And uh, even barring the technical problems, which nobody heard about, but we had earlier on here today. It was a struggle. Um, But uh, it's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of aforementioned Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. You can find uh, Jeb's work online at aviationsafetymagazine.com. And his magazine is also on Twitter as avsafetymag. And you can find other things he writes at aea.net and avweb.com. On Twitter, he's Burnside J. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com, aea.net, and on Twitter, he's Real Higdon. And I'm sorry, Jeb, you keep breathing like you're about to talk. No, you're just breathing because you're breathing. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the usual places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. Um, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? There's an easy way to get older than me. And that's to go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And don't let the fear of falling keep you from flying. Okay. All right. And it didn't die again. Okay, good deal. And we still need a wine club. (laughs) Who is it I heard recently has a wine club? It was like... CNBC or CNN. NPR has one. 
NPR. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's yeah, what I heard. NPR yeah, NPR has yeah. one. Okay, all right. So, so Well, and Turner Classic Movies has one. Uh, you know, we should – I wonder what we could do. What could we do as a minimum <laughs> that we could actually call UCAP Wine Club? I don't know. That would be weird. Maybe it could be we don't actually deliver bottles of wine. We just we, we just highlight – the problem is not one of the three of us drinks wine is my guess. I, first I'm guess. always – I'm always – we have – when there's a conversation like this, no matter where it is or what it is, I'm always reminded of a line from uh, the television series MASH. Yes. Um, Radar is talking to Sidney Friedman who had just arrived for the big poker, poker game. Yeah. And uh, he says, and uh, for your entertainment, we have um, vodka, scotch, and bourbon. For your convenience, they're all in the same bottle. <laughs> 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 so so that would be our wine club is, is yeah, just, you know, okay, just here. <laughs> and I need to find it. Where did it go here? I've got so many windows open. I've got this and this and this and this and this. And, uh, okay. You sound like a personal problem, Jack. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I've got plenty of those, so I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Well, you know, some some of the windows may be open to something about those personal problems. But, um, yeah. um, okay. Uh, there is such a thing as having too many windows. Uh, yeah. And that's the downside of having big monitors like we have. But, uh, yeah. But on the other hand, I prefer it's more the, windows. It's the only downside of having big monitors like we have. Yeah. I'm a big. I'm a big. Um, um, not, I, you know, what's, I, I actually need to get another big monitor because I can still see out the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, going back and forth. So I, I, re, you know, I, I, since the beginning of the pandemic, I have embraced the desktop computer situation here, which I hadn't because I was so tra- I was always traveling. It was always laptops, um, but I now have a pair of. Um, 10 uh, 1080 monitors in front of me. Um, they're both 24 inch 1080 monitors, and I'm and I've really fallen in love with this form factor. Um, the problem is that they're they're 1080. They're not they're, so that makes them in the scheme of things relatively low quality. Um, and so I've been toying with the idea of upgrading to a pair of 1440s, which is so called 2K. Um, and, uh, but then I'm thinking, I, I, I like the, like the monitor you have, Jeb, which is the one piece widescreen monitor, yeah, which is yeah. kind of cool too, you know? Yeah. So, it's, uh, it's getting, it's showing its age, but I mean, it still works fine. Yeah. Now, do you but, happen to know how many pixels high that is? Is that 1080 or is it more than 1080? I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. No matter. It's, I'd be willing to bet it's 1080, but I don't know for sure. It's cause it's older. Um, I think the modern ones are, are I'm, sh- I'm sure it's, it's. Yeah, I'm sure it's no more than 1080. Yeah. Oh, my six-year-old laptop is 1080. Uh, yeah, yeah. 1080 was yeah, and so right about well, that's that was modern for its time then. Um, 1080 was pretty cool six years ago. Um, yeah. But 1080 is considered you know kind of minimal now, um, and uh, you know, and it's, it's weird. Full HD. Yeah. Well, it doesn't even need to be 1080 to be full HD. Um. A long time ago, a long time ago, back in the beginning of the HD era, HD was legally defined as 720p, and 720 is considered un, unusable now. It's just yeah, awful. It's really um, but technically, that's HD legally. You know, if you want to, like Federal Trade Commission, you want to put the word, the phrase, you know, the the term HD in your ads, it's got to be at least at least 720, which is silly. Yeah, well, it's 4K, 5K, and 8K monitors now, which is like starting to get ridiculous. Maybe I'm just an old guy, and it's just like you know, not 
you know, I got to get with it. Yeah. And the kids are. Well, you know. well, then when you get a monitor with that high resolution, then you're getting into territory where it's all dependent on the capture, whether the capture was high enough to even reproduce exactly right. at that level, and whether or not your your computer can can render can that graphic, many pixels. Can your graphics card do handle exactly? All that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, yeah. but but then my real complaint. So I'm assuming that I've got great source and great computer. My issue is that my eyes can't see that quality of, of resolution. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, even these foolish 1080s, I can barely see the pixels if I get up close. Um, and my laptop is essentially 4K, um, and uh, I, can, I can't see the pixels. I mean, I can get up close, and I can't see the pixels. That reminds me, years ago, watching a TV ad for televisions. And they're showing this glorious picture on the, the television being advertised. Yeah. And I'm looking at it on my television. Yeah. And I look at it and say, wow, that is a good picture. And turn yeah, around right, and walk right, away. Right, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Hang on a second here. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a philosophical um, you know, you know, yeah. problem here. I know what you mean. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, Aviation stuff. Aviation stuff, huh? What a concept. Um, but but not aviation stuff here. So this is what I want to know. Um, why in the world do pilots measure air?